coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 5th of February, 2023. Is Jesus the only way? In keeping with our theme of being fishers of men, we're reminded that Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We need to be people who pattern our hearts and lives after our Savior and Lord. We're going to uh, look back into the passage that Tom read for us today. It's found, again, in Acts chapter 4. If you want to open your Bible there. This passage comes off a healing and a message. In chapter 3, Peter uh, had been involved in a healing of a lame man. And he was well known there in the temple area because he often was there to see if he could get gifts from anyone passing by. And he asked Peter for a gift, and Peter said, I don't have any gold or silver to give to you, but what I do have is something, and it was much more valuable, and the lame man was healed that day. Well, as you could imagine, in the temple area, that would cause quite a stir for a person that was lame, and they had known was lame, as scripture says, he was walking and leaping and praising God. I will catch somebody's attention. And uh, so a group gathered around and Peter begins to preach in chapter three. And he talks about, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that they had taken his life. Um, and that person, Jesus Christ, was the provision that God had provided for salvation. We come to chapter four, our passage for this morning, and we're dealing with some of the fallout from the events there, for they had gathered up Peter and taken him and locked him up overnight. And uh, after scripture says that many who heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. Yeah, I guess it was quite a group there. So they locked up Peter. Why? This is not good if you're a religious leader and now somebody heals somebody, preaches a message, and then 5,000 converts following the message of Peter. They gathered together then in chapter 4 and they brought him uh, before them to speak. And again, these words in verse 8 and following, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to 
all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So in preparation for us thinking about sharing our faith, whether it's with family member, or friend, neighbor, acquaintance, worker, whatever, we've got to wrestle with one issue that comes up in this passage and it's almost as uncomfortable for a believer as it is an unbeliever. And it's the question of, is Jesus the only way that a person can get saved? And you say, well, of course, you know. But you're speaking here in the context of a, maybe a group of believers, and you would say, of course, yes, that's right. But it didn't take too long for us to think and say, what about people who've been raised in other faiths? Or what about people who says, you know, all roads lead to Rome? What about that? Is it really true that Jesus is the only way? And the answer we're going to delve into just a little bit this morning before we come to the Lord's table. They say, when Peter was speaking, he says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so he's speaking to much bigger audience even though I don't think he was quite aware at this moment who he was really including in that circle. But he says, there's no other name under heaven, which would cover just about all of us, right? He says, nobody else. And he acknowledges then there is a universal problem of sin. There's a universal problem of sin. It isn't just a local thing that was going on in Israel. Peter wasn't just preaching to those that found themselves living in that tiny country along the Mediterranean. He was speaking to a much larger audience and that we're going to explore a little bit. Later on, Paul wrote on that same theme in Romans 3, and he says, it is written, there are none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. You go, well, wait a minute, I know lots of people who seek after God. He says, but not the living God, not the creator God, not the God of the Bible. People find all sorts of ways to involve themselves in worship of one sort or another, Growing up, my folks had subscribed to National Geographic, so every month we got their stuff, and 
It was interesting because there was places that I had never been to or seen or knew anything about. But they would have these articles, several articles in each magazine. And I can remember one where part of their worship, and I can't even tell you where it was now that this happened, that they would build huge um, towers made out of branches it looked like they could blow over in the wind and they were sort of shaky. And, and the guys would climb up onto the towers and wrap a rope around them and then jump off the tower head first, hoping that that cord would stop them before they hit the ground. But this was to show their demonstration of a faith that has saved them. There was others who would attach hooks into their skin and pull weights behind them as a way of contrition, hoping to receive some sort of forgiveness. Well, each religion has its own elements in it. But one thing is true. All of us deal with a sin problem. All of us have that issue. Now, some will say, well, I don't need God. I don't need to be forgiven by some God. But the question remains, what do you do about the sin in your life? Because if somebody said, well, you're a good person. You're a, I don't know that you need to be saved. But if you looked at that person in the mirror and actually confronted that person and say, is my life perfect? And then the answer would have to be no. Because what may be known about you from others is not the same as what you know about yourself. Your selfish attitudes from time to time pop up. Your desires to seek your own way and want to do your own thing, still part of the expression of that sin nature within. Scripture talks about the universal problem of sin in Romans 5. It says, while we are still weak at the right time, God died for the ungodly. We are all ungodly. For if one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Perhaps a good person, one would dare even to die, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now I want you to notice the context of this passage is Peter is talking to the religious leaders of the day. What had Peter been raised in? In the same faith and beliefs as the religious leaders. That was part of his upbringing. That had been the upbringing down through the centuries up to the time of Peter. Peter then, by putting his trust in, in the Lord, was expressing that what they were practicing was insufficient because the Messiah had come and the plan of salvation had been revealed and they were left wanting. And the question is, if this was a Jewish thing, the lostness that needed salvation proclaimed to them, 
If this was a Jewish thing, then why would there be emissions to Gentiles? Why would you do that? An anthropologist would say, well, you don't want to go into somebody else's culture and take into them the gospel because they have their own beliefs, they have their own system, their own life, and they're all good with that. Do you believe in anthropologists? You believe what the Word of God says, that they're lost. You remember in Acts chapter 9, Saul, who was a staunch supporter of the same convictions as the religious leaders in Acts chapter 4, he was going out and persecuting Christians. And the Lord stopped him on the road. And then he, gave, he was given this message. This message was given to a, a believer to go and speak to Paul. And he said, the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. In other words, Saul was going to then be later, we know him as Paul, was a persecutor of the church. But when the Lord stopped him literally in his tracks and brought him to the point of salvation, he then became a proclaimer to the Gentiles. Our same friend here, Peter, in chapter 4 and chapter 11 of Acts, he was visiting with some friends, and you remember the whole picture of the picnic being lowered down and, and the Lord saying to eat, and he goes, no, there's no kosher stuff here. I've been raised a different way, he says to the Lord. The Lord says, don't say something is unclean that I declare clean. And then Paul, Peter got the message that he was to go with some people and visit Cornelius and share the good news. He did that, went, and while he was in the midst of proclaiming the good news of the gospel, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were gloriously saved. And then Peter had to return back to Jerusalem. And they go, what happened? And so he recounts the story. And in Acts chapter 11, when they get the story that what he had said and what the Lord had done, this was their response. The religious... Um, leaders of the church when they heard these things they fell silent and they glorified God saying then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life there's a universal problem it's called sin the Jews had the problem Gentiles have the problem and it wasn't just limited to Israel, it wasn't limited to the Roman world, as we know that God intended that to be dealt with across the planet. 
But we're dealing with a touchy subject because if we're saying that Jesus Christ is the solution to the problem of sin and not just a solution to the problem of sin, we've got to deal with some outrageous claims that Jesus Christ made. And we want to, we want to uh, address those for a moment, and I won't belabor them, but he made some outrageous claims. And Peter had said in Acts chapter 4, there is a salvation by no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. One of the claims that Jesus made, and, and we have talked about before, so I won't belabor it, he claimed to be God. This was, Jesus Christ wasn't just an itinerant preacher. He wasn't just a Jewish rabbi who wandered around the country sharing some messages and performing some miracles. He had something very outrageous to say. He said, I literally am God. Of course, that got him into lots of trouble. In John chapter 8, as he was speaking to the religious leaders of the day, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones. They wanted to kill him right there. Blasphemy. How can you say that? That's not true. Well, it's not blasphemy if it is true, and it was true. A little bit later after that, Jews gathered around Jesus on another time. In John chapter, he said, How long will you keep us in suspense? Tell us if you are the Christ. Tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them and said, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. In other words, just because you don't believe doesn't mean that it's not true. In John uh, verse 31, uh, verse 30 of chapter 10 says, I and the Father are one. An outrageous claim. You claim to be God. But that wasn't the extent of it. That would have been bad enough. They picked up stones several times to try and kill him for that one. But then he says, he was the only way. The only way. He's God, and he's the only way. Only way to what? Salvation. Think about this for a moment. If there was another way to get saved and get right with God, why in the world would God have sent Jesus Christ? All we'd have to do is figure out which one is the approved way whether it is joining a particular religion, that religion has its, its claims. And so if you follow that one, whatever it would be, that will get you to heaven. Why do we need Jesus? If there's some sort of works that we're supposed to do, all you have to do is do those works. Be faithful, be true, do those things, and you'll get to heaven. I can't tell you how many people have told me 
either directly or indirectly, I'm going to heaven. You ask them why they believe that. And they said, well, I'm a good person. You know, I'm okay. Or I'm better than most of the people I know. But Jesus would not have needed to come if there was an alternative. And why in the world would the Heavenly Father have sent his son to be slain, put to death, if some alternative was available? He says, listen, all you need to do is scrape together a thousand dollars and you can buy your way into heaven. And you think I'm fooling? That's been promoted down through history. You get sufficient funding and you give it to the church, boy, you're in. Why even have Jesus come? Wouldn't be necessary. We got alternatives. If there was an alternative, but there is not. John 14, 6, very familiar to us. Jesus was talking to Thomas and and saying, you know the way to get to heaven. And he goes, Lord, tell us. And he says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's it. And about this time, you may say, well, what about those millions of people who are in this religion or that? Jesus said, me alone. And that makes it hard for us, too. Because we don't like to be put in the spot of saying the, the way is narrow. We like to say the way is broad. We'd love to say, sure, if you're just diligent and you're faithful and true to whatever the tenets of your faith are, that would be sufficient. God will take that into account and you just, you'll get in. But Jesus was much more narrow than that. 1 John, John records a statement about Jesus. He says, this is the testimony that God has given to us eternal life. This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son can find an alternative way. That's what the scripture says. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You say, well, pastor, you're being pretty restrictive here. And the answer is, no, I'm not. I'm not saying anything different than what God's word says. If you want to take it up, take it up with God. Don't take it up with me. This is what he says. So we come to our third point. We talked about the universal problem of sin. Jesus made some outrageous claims like he was God and he was the only way. Come to the third point. Need is universal, but deliverance 
is individually done for anyone who puts their trust in Jesus. And you go, this creates another problem. And that is, how does a person get right with God and get right with Jesus? Maybe if you just were raised up in the church and you heard about Jesus all your life and your parents were believers and you were raised that way, now you're saved. And the answer is no. Each person individually has to put their trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 8 through 10, it says, The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith which we proclaim, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So one tough, tough area of evangelism is, evangelism is dealing with this exclusive path to God. And it's with Jesus Christ. You know, it doesn't matter how you were raised. And that's a tough thing to overcome. It's a tough, tough thing. For you to say no to that and yes to Jesus. We have some friends in India. A majority of people in India are not believers. They follow another <laughs> but our friends in India are believers he happened to be raised in a Christian home but came to believe not what the culture said not what his neighbors believed but what he was taught from God's word he put his faith how many of you know who Charles Feinberg is anybody know who Charles my family knows it. Charles Feinberg came with his family from, from Europe just about the time World War II was ending. Family Orthodox Jews. They came to America, got established in the Jewish com community, he was trained in Jewish schools. Listen to this little testimony that was recorded at, it can be found at Talbot Seminary down in Southern California where Charles Feinberg was the first president of that seminary. But listen to what was recorded. Charles Feinberg had deeply embraced the practices of Judaism and diligently studied Hebrew, Jewish history, literature, and of course, the scriptures at the Hebrew University in Pittsburgh. 
He had just now graduated with honors in three years from the University of Pittsburgh and was planning on going to rabbinical school with the goal and intention of being a rabbi. But God was at work. And he worked through a Christian neighbor by the name of Carmen McKnight. And if you hadn't heard Charles Feinberg's name, I'm sure you didn't know Carmen McKnight. I didn't have that name in my register either. He says, who was praying every day that Charles would come to know Jesus as the Messiah. This loving, godly, African-American woman often prodded Charles with provocative questions and shared her strong conviction that Jesus of Nazareth was the Hebrew Messiah. Wow. Ultimately, she put him in contact with the Reverend John Solomon, who worked with the American Board uh, Missions to the Jews, now known as people, Chosen People Ministries. And through literature produced by this ministry and many discussions with Charles Solomon, Charles uh, um, Charles Feinberg came to embrace Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, and put his trust in him. And you go, oh man, isn't that a great story? Mm, yes and no. When his family found out, and this wasn't in the notes, but this I heard from his own lips, because I had an opportunity to meet Charles Feinberg. He said, when his family found out that they had, he had put his trust in Jesus Christ, this guy was training in Orthodox Judaism. He was training to go become a rabbi, he was going to rabbinical schools, he had already had a wealth of background in training, and he was headed that way when he told his family that he trusted in Jesus Christ. Father said to him, you're no longer my son. His testimony was that whenever he would try and call his family, as soon as they recognized his voice, they hung up. Anytime he would write them a letter, this was before emails and those kind of things. Anytime he wrote a letter, it would re be returned to him unopened. Was there any price to pay for putting his trust in Jesus? It certainly was. And that's part of the dilemma that we face when we, when we say Jesus is the only way because it may impact your, your very life when it comes to relationships that you already know. Count the cost. Paul went from being Saul of Tarsus and a persecutor of the church to a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ. And what happened? The church, church finally accepted him. He's going, we're a little wary of who this guy is and what he says. But he was... They could see his change. But what happened is the very one that he used to work for began to persecute him. So much so that later on in his life, they tried on multiple occasions to kill him. 
Why? Because he had put his trust in the only way, Jesus Christ. And so we deal with this issue, and it's something that we as believers need to resolve in our own heart and mind. Are we sure? Do Are we positively affirmed that there is only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ? We better be. Otherwise, we don't have a message to the rest of the world. We just say, no, your culture is okay. Your, your way of thinking, your, your particular belief set, that's okay. And we really don't have a message. But if we turn around and we say that Jesus is the only way, which is what Scripture proclaimed and what Jesus proclaimed, then we're left with the, with the issue that everyone who doesn't have Jesus Christ as a Savior and Lord, are eternally lost. And there is no second choice. Jesus Christ, you're right. Wow. We need to be sure in our own hearts and minds. And then we ought to have boldness to say, your thinking sounds good, but it won't get you to heaven unless you put your trust in Jesus. With that in mind, we come to what we celebrate on a monthly basis, and that's the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder that Jesus Christ had to offer up his life his body was broken for us. He had to offer up his blood. His blood was shed for us. And it's pictured in the elements of the Lord's Supper. And we share those and we're reminded that if there was an alternative, we never would have a Lord's Supper. Wouldn't need it. We could just go about doing good works or putting our trust in some other faith and Call it good, we'll go to heaven. That's not the case. It's Jesus or nothing. So we're going to give you a moment or two. I'm going to transition down by the table. We'll share the elements with you in a moment or two. Heavenly Father, it's quiet enough to hear the ticking of the clock and time passing. We know it's second by second by second closer to eternity. We're thankful that you have provided so great a salvation in your Son and in your gracious mercy and your love. You have shared those truths with us and drawn us to yourself so that we can put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ and have life everlasting. Heavenly Father, we do pray for our family members, our friends, neighbors, acquaintances, co-workers, fellow students, all the above. And specifically, we could mention by name individuals who you've laid on our hearts. May we be bold to share with them the good news of the gospel, knowing that there is no alternative. 
We give thanks this morning as we come to share with these elements and remember again this great sacrifice that was offered up by Jesus Christ himself for us. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, if you would, please. first element is the broken bread. I'm going to ask Tom if you lead us in prayer, please. Our precious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together here and to share these elements and to reflect upon what you have done for us. We thank you for the broken bread. We thank you that Christ was broken for us, that we can come into right relationship with you. Let us be that light to the world out there, Lord, that you work through us and touch the lives of others around about us. We give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Partake sitting down because our salvation has already been secured through the sacrifice of our Savior. We take this first element, broken, unleavened bread, and it speaks to his body that was used, abused, and slain. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for so great a sacrifice. We eat in remembrance of your son. Jesus took that second element in the Passover dinner gave it new significance as he instituted what we know now as the Last Supper. And, and what we call communion, I'm going to ask my Golik if you would lead us in prayer. Father God, again we thank you that we could come together to this day to give you glory and honor. By giving you thanks, by taking the elements and reflecting on what you have done for us. You gave your whole complete life for us and your blood shed upon the cross so that we may have life and that we may go forward and share the life that you have given us to those who need it, who need to see the light, who need to see you. We pray, Father, for your, your blessing, your anointing, and your, your guidance as we show the world you. May you be glorified through the lives that you gave us. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you with our whole life. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.
The second element is the fruit of the vine, just some grape juice to us. But it speaks of the blood that was shed on our behalf. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And only through the righteous, sinless blood of Jesus Christ are we made clean. Let's drink to that relationship through his blood. Mike comes to lead us in a closing song. We'll have the men come around and collect your cups if you would, please. <laughs>